This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest wi-fi access for customers bt's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy whatever your business bt's got your back search bt's got your back hello this is the red box podcast i'm matt shawley marking a year of these daily podcasts after i moved to times radio and bring you the best of the times radio show every day now monday to friday so what we thought we'd do is on the big thing on the episode today is take a look back in the year in focus groups. Every month, James Johnson, former number 10 pollster, carries out focus groups for us. And what we thought we'd do is sort of pick our way through everything we've learned from the past year. Uh, And so James is coming up on the podcast. But first, it's time for our columnist panel. It's Tuesday, so it must be Finkelvich. It's Danny Finkelstein and David Abonovich. Which one of you can tell me what this is? Leading to something by Max Bygraves. <laughs> no, this is the theme to On the Buses. Yes, uh, I, I thought so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did have an answer to the question of uh, which of the two of us would, uh, would be able to answer the question, which was not me. <laughs> <laughs> so the reason for this is, well, there's a couple of reasons, but it's sort of all, it all plays into the same thing. And it's the way we treat the people who run the country. So we had this, this, def- this dossier of top MOD defence secrets uh, abandoned in a wet heap at a bus stop. Uh, presumably because somebody going about their business carrying a load of MOD uh, top secrets is getting the bus home. Uh, and then, obviously, in a uh, far worse situation, we had this yesterday with Chris Whitty. <laughs> That's Chris Whitty trying to get home. And I remember even years and years ago, there was a sort of situation where uh, Vince Cable was saying he couldn't do any cabinet work on, his, uh, on the way into work because he was on the bus. And I, I, th- I thought there was a broader question of the way that we treat the people who run the country. And maybe we ought to take a leaf out of most other major countries, put them in a car, let them uh, be, you know, give them a bit of protection and get on with their jobs properly. What do you think about this, Danny? Well, I used to be quite more militant about it until I got into the House of Lords and then I realised that people would just listen to me and think, oh, Christ, another person going on about their own uh, interests and how they look after the elite and all that. So I've started to shut up about it. I, I... 
look, on, you can't have everyone travelling in chauffeur-driven cars. And whoever took the material on the bus, they weren't allowed to do that. But I do worry about Chris Whitty, yes. I do think that we've exposed Chris Whitty to uh, publicity and, uh, you know, national profile on the public's behalf. It's been important that we did it. And we now have a responsibility to look after him, especially in the uh, light of the fact that there's a small minority of extremely uh, aggressive and also quite stupid uh, people who are on his tail. And um, I think we should be looking after him better. David, what do you think? Um, I, the part of the problem is that when you get an event like this, the temptation is to see it as in some way kind of typical or the thing that you get all the time. I was also thinking about it in terms of the way in which the Labour candidate, Kim Ledbeat, has been yeah. treated up in yeah, Batley yeah. and Spen uh, and so on. Uh, and after all, her sister was actually murdered uh, in, 20, uh, in 2016. So the question about the safety of uh, people in the public eye is always kind of, of moot. And there is a kind of coarsening amongst some people of the way in which they discuss uh, public servants or other people's opinions, which seems to just uh, allow them to justify in themselves boorish behaviour. I was thinking also about those people who stood outside Chris Whitty's flat and sh shouted that he was a traitor at him. You know, chanted, chanted that, and I thought, I mean, and and there is a there is a bit of a tendency for us to concentrate on those few moments and not to realize that by and large that isn't what happens. You know, Danny, Daniel Finkelstein, who's a household face, can walk about largely unmolested on the streets of Pinner. Uh, the bigger problem he has when, uh, with, on the streets of Pinner is people coming up and say, "Oh, I heard you on that Matt Chorley program the other day," and so on. And you know, it's that's the, that's you know, that's, that's the worst. Thing. <laughs> 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 no, yeah, yeah, that's. What, that's right. Uh, just a younger but, version of James Marriott. I promise you, I did have a situation once where I dropped something in the dustbin and realised I still needed it. It was nearly Christmas. I went to the dustbin, out to the dustbin in my dressing gown, worried that somebody was going to uh, empty the dustbins into the van before I got to it. Put, the, put my head into the bin, reached down to get it. And as I was doing it, a man came along the road and said, do you know Jeremy Paxman? What's he like? And I'm standing there in my dressing room with my head in the bin. So that's what life's like in Pinner. I thought you were going to say that he lifted your legs up, tipped you tipped in. <laughs> is, it, is there, I mean, it's an obvious um, question, which may, although certainly mean it's also a stupid question. Is social media a part of this? That you People have got used yeah. to shouting each other in capitals on social media. So do think it's all right to go and do no. it in the street? Well, I'll tell you what the difference between social media and uh, the previous situation, which was that people shouted at the radio, and now the radio can basically hear them. And people have got used to that dialogue, and I suppose it probably has made a difference to people's relationship uh, to to others, yes. And, you know, look, they, they people watch a video of someone else being abusive to Chris Whitty, and they get that idea themselves. And now that's begun. I think we are going to have to take steps to look after someone like him because, I, you know, my view is his uh, efforts on behalf of the public have been heroic. Yeah, I think I, I think one of the ways to deal with this is when people do something like this is to make sure that you fo locate them, identify them, follow them home and complain to their parents, their aunties, their girlfriends, boyfriends, etc. And just make them make, make them understand that there is actually some human consequences for doing the things that they do. So I'm in favour of persecuting them. <laughs> David in Belfast has just got in touch saying Chris Whitty shouldn't need close protection he's a doctor for pity's sake the people treat him like that need to catch them, uh, themselves on ditto Kim Ledbetter we forget that public figures are human too and is that part of I mean in a completely separate context you know Matt Hancock gave us a good reminder this uh, in the past week that um, 
politicians are are human beings uh, too. And do we sort of slightly forget that that the the, yes. the the they're not institution. You know, Chris Whitty is not he, an institution. He's not he's not the BBC to be defunded no. or whatever. He is actually a, kind of. I do think it's worthwhile just reserving a special word for Kim Ledbetter. Uh, I think her emotional and physical courage is extraordinary. Whatever the result in the by-election, whatever you think about any of the things that she says, whatever the political differences you might have with her. And we're lucky that people are still willing to go into public life in those circumstances. And every time I watch her, I think that. So it's a disgrace that uh, she's faced the sort of uh, abuse that she has in that by-election. And people really are, you know, it, it really is disgraceful. And I do think we, we are going to have to step up and try to protect those people better than we're doing. David, why why do you think that the the, the battling and spend by election ha- does appear to have been become so toxic? There's been an you know there's been abuse in the street. There were some of the leaflets and some some fake, some are uh, not pretty awful as well. Um, wh- what's gone on in battling and spend? Uh, well, th- there are two things going on, but the main thing that's gone on is um, the uh, a- a- an absolute solid attempt to create a feeling of significant communal grievance amongst a section of the population in Batley and Spen by George Galloway and people linked to him. That's, I mean, that's it and all about it. I mean, if you are told that my major issue in Batley and Spen is Labour Labour Party's failure to support the Palestinians, you know that something really kind of outside the ordinary warp and weft of, uh, of British politics is going on. Because what on earth does that have to do with the issues that people face face up there? Well, the answer is that somebody like Galloway sweeps in and says that it's an insult to your religion, it's an insult to your people, they etc etc. And there are people. Um, again, including younger men, the kind of equivalence of the people who did that to Chris Whitty on a kind of political scale, who feel themselves entitled to behave and respond in that kind of way. And that then gets a response from other kind of political forces. So you get a kind of weird thing with Labour wanting to reassure Muslim voters about its position on India, for instance, which would be a very, very hard thing to talk about amongst the rest of the electorate. So essentially... It is a kind of construction. It is the playing on grievance and resentment politics in a really dangerously communal way. I mean, the Muslim community is not the only community where that can happen uh, by by no means. But that's really, really notable in this situation. And that's where most of this is coming from. And uh, I would say more than half the people on the road that I live in uh, are, are Hindu or Jews. I would say probably more than two-thirds and um the politics that they're using in batley and spen wouldn't work here and it would be a disaster i think if we do do go down a a route of sort of uh, communal based politics um and that's what is happening in uh in uh, batley and spen and the labor party's had the problem with this issue for quite a while well, let's let's more, look more broadly at politics because we always, you know, we focus on individual events, you know, individual by-elections, individual polls, and that sort of thing. And I was thinking, that rather than looking back over the last year since we've been on air, what will politics look like in twelve months' time? Uh, um, I was, I, first of all, let's look back over the last year. So at this time last year, the Tories won twenty-eight percent. No, the Tories won forty-five percent uh, in YouGov's tracker. Labour won thirty-seven. And now the Tories on 42% and Labour down at 30 uh, So Labour down more than the Tories are in the past 12 months. What do you think politics will look like in the next uh, 12 months, David? Will 
Will Keir Starmer still be leader? Will Boris Johnson still be Prime Minister? What does his cabinet look no, like? No, no, what does no, politics no. look like? I, I know it's really boring, but you just have to put your foot on the ball here for a moment. We have been through the most remarkable 18 months, probably, of my entire life, political lifetime and social lifetime. Pandemic is not like anything else we have been through. I was born after the war. I didn't see wartime and so on. And even the height of the Cold War didn't put you through anything like quite what we've been through through the pandemic, both here and nationally. There, we don't know what's coming up. We don't know how the economy will respond. We don't know how these problems, we can see bits of problems beginning to arise themselves in the discussion that's beginning in the Conservative Party about whether they can spend more money on X, Y or Z. We have a series of really significant problems. The legal system, I mean, if you heard the reports from the Manchester police, for for example, today, um, the legal and policing system is in a real set of trouble. That is that is a kind of, that's been coming up for a, for, for a very long time, a whole series of other problems to deal with in education. And then we can add on things like social care. Now, I don't think, I mean, there will be a tendency if Labour loses the battle in spend by-election and say, well, Keir Starmer's got to go and there's going to be a leadership election. I don't think there will be a leadership election, actually, if Labour loses battle in spend, because part of the reasons we're talking about is it's a, it's a clear, you know, kind of in its own way, it's a, it's a kind of one-off, it's bad for them. I, my simple answer to the question is really tedious, which is if you'd asked me a year ago what would happen in the next year, I'd have got it all wrong. And if you ask me now to predict what's going to happen in the next year, the only thing I can be sure of is I'll get it all wrong. <laughs> go, go on then, Danny. You can, you can get it all wrong instead. <laughs> I, I think David's right to look at it in the way that he does. Uh, I would just say this. we uh, A time for a change feeling will overtake the Conservatives in the end. You just look at history and think that must happen. And that will be driven by the economy above all other things because it almost always is uh, and I think uh, a lot depends on whether and whether and how the economy recovers if as I suspect uh, the, the previous budget begins to look actually quite tight rather than quite expansive in the way that people think I think the Conservative Party will face the time for change feeling sooner rather than later um, but of course that means time for a change to who uh, and uh, I'm not as convinced as David that Keir Starmer will um, not face a leadership challenge. It's difficult to see who by because it's hard for Andy Burnham to pull off the right speed of getting back into Parliament to challenge him and hard to see who else it would be, who would win, unless you think Angela Rayner would. So, you know, and, I, and, and the very fact that I'm talking about concrete people does mean I think it is reasonably serious if they lose the battling spend by-election, which again does look quite likely. I think that there will be talk of that kind. I'm not sure it'll do them any good, but I think that's what they, I think that's what might happen. But um, in either case, time for a change feeling will definitely catch up with the Conservatives eventually. There's the only question is whether it's in a year, and that's very much, much more difficult to tell. Danny Finkelstein and David Ivanovich there. You can, of course, read them in The Times every week. Just get yourself a Times digital subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next, it's a year in focus groups. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. You're listening to the Red Fox Podcast. Now it's time for this. Yes, that is the sound of our monthly Times Radio focus groups. We did one, I think, in our very first uh, week, if I remember rightly, with James Johnson. Used to run polling for Theresa May in number 10. All the focus groups in association with Kex CNC. And James is with me now in the studio. Morning, James. Morning. And so what we thought we'd do to mark a year is to sort of dig through all the focus groups and see what has changed and what hasn't. I was looking at some of the polling uh, and uh, the Tories are down a bit and Labour down a bit more on 12 months ago. There's been a lot has happened, but we're not very far away from where we were actually this time uh, last year. But just remind us before we get into the clips and the conversation, the value of focus groups and why they are different to opinion polls. Yes, so what a focus group is, you're getting six to eight people in a room or on Zoom in the case of the last 18 months or so, and you're not trying to be nationally representative. You're not trying to say this is what the British people think. You're selecting them on the basis of people you're interested in. So political parties, and we at Times Radio, have tended to look at these voters who are sort of we describe as swing voters. They voted Labour or Conservative uh, at the last election, and they're now undecided about how they're going to vote. So they're there to get a sense of understanding what's behind behind some of those representative numbers, why people are saying what they're saying, uh, what messages work best, and really how people think, speak, and really sort of view politics and the world around them. And sometimes we've found that uh, just a turn of phrase or something that, that sort of catches light a bit in a focus group, you say, oh, that's quite a good way. So, you know, that ends up being the sort of the mood uh, later on. It's also a good way of when Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer are calling each other things, uh, do they start being repeated back in focus groups? Well, let's let's go right the way back then to this time last year, our very first focus group. And this is what they said about Boris Johnson then. Uh, I think he's been found to be incapable of being an authoritative prime minister. Becky. I put, um, he's holding the weight of the world on his shoulders. Applause should be given. He's a, a human just like the rest of us, a dad, and he's done a good job. It's very difficult times with lots to deal with. It comes across to me as somebody who's got a personal interest in getting things done after we've said he's actually had the virus. He can speak from first experience, if you like. 
I think he's doing what he thinks is right by his colleagues who are advising him, but I don't think they all are right all the time. So that was what the focus group said a year ago, James. A, a sort of mixed bag, but most at that point willing to give Boris Johnson the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, exactly. And actually, the start of the pandemic, I think just before uh, we did that first focus group, we saw people really positive about Boris Johnson. He was actually at one point, one of the most, if not the most popular leaders in the West um, at the very start of the pandemic. Uh, We saw the Dominic Cummings Barnard Castle sort of take a bit of that off of him. But broadly speaking, this time last year, people very positive and really saying a lot of the things that we still hear today, particularly saying, well, the pandemic's been very difficult, so we need to give Boris Johnson a chance. uh, And this sense that Perhaps he's sort of been distracted by all of these issues like Brexit and Covid. And again, perhaps he deserves a little bit more of a of a hit at being Prime Minister. So that's what they said about Boris Johnson a year ago. Let's fast forward to the most recent uh, focus group uh, talking about Boris Johnson again. Bad hair. Clown. Buffoon. You've stolen all of my answers. Um, he's a fool, isn't he? <laughs> one of the lads. Yeah, one of the lads. Uh, I'd say Kaz, uh, yeah, one of the lads. Yeah, I think he's, I like him. He's likable, approachable. Um, portable and flamboyant. It's a hard one, to be honest, because I quite like him. I feel sorry for him. I mean, the thing that really stood out for me, because that was the one that Frank Luntz, uh, the, the Australian, American pollster did for us. The, Boris Johnson is one of the lads. Is the, I mean, I could sort of see where it comes from, but it must have Labour uh, strategists and politicians pulling their hair out. The old Etonian, uh, who is one of the most unlikely one of the lads you could think of, uh, has managed to still retain that connection with voters. Yeah, it is astonishing. And I remember Frank Lund saying, uh, kind of slightly telling you off, Matt, saying, well, hang on a second, this is one bit from the focus group. But actually, in a lot of my other focus groups, I've heard a similar thing, particularly in contrast to you know, Sir Keir, as people say, uh, Boris Johnson's seen as this much more approachable politician. You see it in the aftermath of the Hartlepool by-election, where he stood outside with the blimp. Um, you can't see many other politicians being able to get away with that. So yeah, there's a lot of sort of um, residual sort of like for him. Um, another thing that comes up a lot is actually people talking about memes and social media jokes and so on, whether it's on TikTok or Instagram, you know, even if it's clips from ages ago, whether it's the whiff-waff clip from 2008 after the uh, uh, Beijing Olympics. You know, people have these reference points of finding Boris Johnson funny. Now that's going to frustrate, as you say, a lot of listeners because people will say, well, hang on a second, shouldn't these voters be judging him on who he is in his record? The one thing I would say is that if you look at our focus groups in November, December last year, it really did start to sort of fall apart a little bit for Boris Johnson, Um, particularly as there was no vaccine rollout happening as of yet. There was indecision over things like exam results having taken place. The Barnard Castle stuff was still uh, uh, in voters' minds. You really did see a lot of that positive shine come off Boris Johnson with the same kinds of voters who are now praising him to high heaven. So I think the key point is is that the lesson of all of this year, really, is there is a lot of volatility out there, and these views of Boris Johnson could change very quickly. We even saw that in the immediate aftermath just this week of the Matt Hancock affair in some of the polling. We've immediately seen Boris Johnson's ratings take a bit of a dip. Not catastrophic, but it just shows you that this sort of slightly lazy Westminster attribution that the public are, you know, slavishly loyal to Boris Johnson, you know, they could do anything and, you know, almost like a Trump-like uh, devotion to him is not quite right, actually. Let's take a listen, cause, just because I like this. This is a super cut of, I think, every time you've asked uh, the uh, focus groups to sum up Boris Johnson in one word. Bad hair. Clown. Buffoon. He's a fool, isn't he? <laughs> Portable and flamboyant. Buffoon. Um, Muppet. Incompetent. Liar. 
Is an embarrassment? Yeah, he's a clown, an absolute clown. Slippery. Blonde. Spaniel. Damaged. Did Robert say? <laughs> no, no. I said. I said posh. Did you? Oh. Uh, that the end was, I think, the uh, the Times radio, Times columnists uh, focus group uh, with uh, David Ovalich and Robert Camden. So one of the things that I wonder is, is because people sort of like Boris Johnson, they think he's fun and light and positive. And when things have been gloomy, having someone uh, who who tries to be optimistic, because blindly we've all needed a bit of optimism in the last 12 months, slightly chimes with the mood a bit more than somebody who's a bit gloomy. Now, the last thing you want, if the whole country's feeling gloomy, is, uh, the, the, you know, to turn the telly on and somebody's being all very gloomy as well. You know, that light at the end of the tunnel, I mean, the, blimey, the light has got further and further away. But actually, the sense of the light of the tunnel is a bit of a leadership too. And I wonder whether um, the wobble came when last year, when we really, people were oh, we really need to do something about this. And him larking about isn't what you want at that time. But quite a lot of the time, optimism is a big part of politics, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And if you look at some of the failings of Previous Labour leaders like Ed Miliband, Jeremy Corbyn, often the thing that really struck me about them is that they were often saying how bad the country was and how bad things were. And though people wanted to see improvements, though lots of people were frustrated, did feel left behind, etc., etc., they actually sort of did look around them and say, well, something's quite good about the country, actually. So I think Boris Johnson does tap into a little bit of that. But it's interesting what you allude to there, because those sort of things that seem like strengths at the moment and were strengths of Boris Johnson in the general election a couple of years ago they could very quickly turn into negatives. And if the story in general becomes negative about Boris Johnson again, as it was at the end of last year, you can actually see these things going the other way. So in some of our focus groups at the end of last year, you actually had people saying, well, uh, actually, it's a bit more like buffoonery than optimism. Um, And actually, uh, I don't really want to see this guy with with silly hair. Even the hair, actually. You know, it's sometimes seen as a, yay, you know, nice, fun character trait. But other times it's seen as, we need someone a bit more serious on the world stage, really. So I think it's this classic uh, um, sort of sense of if the mood music is positive, it's great. If the mood music around Boris Johnson is negative, then you could see these brand strengths turn into real sort of problems and burdens for Boris Johnson. It's really interesting that there's sometimes, oh, it's funny, you know, his hair's fine and other times, why can't you brush his hair? There's serious types. I'll tell you what, before we come to Keir Starmer, let's go uh, to uh, a clip from, I mean, this is probably one of the things that badly affected Boris Johnson more than anything which is probably in his mind over the Hancock stuff, with the Dominic Cummings uh, back in June. Uh, this was them talking about, because obviously it was, a, it was a bit before uh, we did the focus group, but this was them talking about, and D- Dominic Cummings came up time and time again, didn't he, in the focus group. Let's take a listen. Dominic Cummings. Ah, uh, that's the one that went to the castle. <laughs> Fair enough taking his children to his parents' house, but when he said he drove to the castle to test his eyesight, it was absolutely ridiculous. As soon as when he did that, they said, that's it. I'm, I'm not going to bother now doing anything else. I'm going to do what I'm going to, going to do. If they can get away with it, you know, they should be an example. And what he did was absolutely really ridiculous. And I think he'd do more harm, harm than anything. He must have something on Boris to keep well, his yeah, job. Well, yeah, I've heard that one. He brought out the worst of the media and journalists as well, because all, all I remember really from it is uh, them crowding outside his house, shoulder to shoulder, uh, absolutely no, no regard whatsoever for the for the current situation, social distancing. So I think it was hypocritical, really, from them as well. 
So, James Johnson, uh, former pollster in uh, number 10 under Theresa May, listening back to that, that focus group, is a reminder. Well, it turns out they were quite right. But Dominic Cummings did have an awful lot on Boris Johnson. He's gradually dribbling it out on his blog. I was going to say, that was quite a savvy comment. That was June, <laughs> June 2020, I think. So, uh, certainly, certainly did see that. Look, this is, if you had to tell me, you know, if you look back over the last 18 months and name what was the key you know, moment that's actually changed public opinion the most, it is Dominic Cummings' trip to Barnard Castle. It was the story, it was something that came up in our focus groups every time until the end of end of last year, um, and it really did knock people's confidence in the government. It was a great example of one of these big events that can happen that suddenly do change an opinion of a government. And then, as I said, those things that might be sort of sat in the background but not really damaging the government's reputation suddenly come to the force. Then we had U-turns, we had exam results. Those things, you know, perhaps if Barnard Castle hadn't have happened, may have been negative stories but not quite as damaging as, the, as, the, as they were. And obviously one other big event came and took Barnard Castle off the agenda, which was the vaccine rollout. And that has then determined things in the other direction. So that overall mood is really important to where the voters are. Oh, I was struck as well. I remember um, when we were, even when we were doing focus groups in sort of the autumn, September, October, November, um, that people still citing back to Dominic Cummings and this sense of, oh, I've had enough of it now um, and I'm not going to follow the rules uh, anymore. Uh, let's take a listen to one of these. No, I won't. I won't be following him. Tell, tell me more, Mira. Tell me more. What kind of rules I won't do you think? be following... Um, I'll still be seeing my family if my family want to see me. My partner's got family. We've got like childcare where where both grandparents take care. Um, I mean, I won't be really seeing my friends, I guess, to to some point. It's mainly family that I will be seeing. I'm very close to them and I didn't see them for like six months without lockdown. I'm not doing it again. We followed the ruse initially because we didn't really know and we thought, right, we're going to get rid of this virus. We'll follow the rules. It hasn't gotten rid of the virus. We've gone through all that pain of the lockdown. Now they want us to face another lockdown. The general census of opinion is we know it's not going to work because it's always going to break out. So I, I think that's why the second lockdown won't work. So that was there back in October. But like you said, by March, when they were talking about uh, the vaccine rollout, suddenly everyone was much more sort of up. But, you know, these these things which suddenly uh, turn. Let's take a listen to uh, one of the focus groups in March. Considering what's happened, I think they've done very well. Really, And I can now, I've had the vaccination, I can actually see a light at the end of the tunnel, which I never could six, eight months ago. Uh, yeah, I think um, there's some things could have been done better. But, uh, yeah, we have really um, succeeded in other areas. Yeah, it's kind of a bit of both. Um, I think we're all feeling a bit more positive now. I don't think we know all know where we're going and we don't know what's going to happen in the future. Um, and I think come the summer, we'll all be out doing what we normally do. Well, fingers crossed. That was back in March, uh, the focus group, Joe Johnson. Um I suppose every prime minister is, uh, you know, at the mercy of events in that way. But when all when when the decision the prime minister is making is affecting everyone equally in real time, people go about their lives thinking about Boris Johnson in a way that they probably didn't go out their lives thinking about Tony Blair and Gordon Brown and David Cameron. Yeah, I think that's right, and I think it also really speaks to why that vaccine rollout had such an impact on public opinion. Because, uh, in fact, a, a colleague of mine said. 
um, you know, that when he got his vaccine, it was almost radicalizing. And I think there's something in that. You know, this is a direct thing that everybody's experiencing um, together as well as uh, on their own. And uh, that clearly has improved views of the government. It's quite interesting as well on the lockdown restrictions there, because, um, again, everybody assumes that the public is immensely pro-lockdown, um, you know, keen to have as many restrictions as possible. Actually, that hasn't been true all the way through. And again, we really saw that waiver in November. Um, it then changed because of the Kent variant and people said, OK, fair enough, we need to take this seriously. But it does show you that if the government does try and think about reimposing restrictions later in the winter or possibly delaying be- be- uh, uh, beyond the 19th of July, Actually, if they've not got a really compelling reason for that, there may be more pushback by the public than a lot of the polls suggest. And actually, the thing that struck me in a lot of the focus groups around that time, it was this sense that, as the polls say, yes, the country should be locked down. Everyone else should be locked down. I mean, I'm not going to buy. I mean, I'm going to do some of the vault. You know, there was this this distinction between uh, cases are going up, so something must be done. The country must go into lockdown, but I'm going to pick and choose which rules are. So there is that disconnect, which actually can only pick up to the focus groups. Before we get to, uh, we'll do Kiss Starmer in a sec. How significant do you think Matt Hancock, uh, uh, the Matt Hancock, literally the Matt Hancock affair? will be in uh, on the political scene? Does it become a Dominic Cummings moment or is it just is it a Matt Hancock moment rather than something that affects the government as a whole? I think if Matt Hancock had have stayed on, it could well have taken on a sort of Barnard Castle level of significance. Um, I think the fact that Matt Hancock resigned, I think the fact that Sajid Javid's come in, who's actually pretty popular, actually, uh, amongst the public and certainly gets quite a lot of plaudits in the focus groups uh, where, we, where we mention him, um, I think that has taken a lot of the heat out of it. Um, but certainly if he'd have stayed on... Uh, could certainly see it becoming the case. I think the, the the really damaging thing from the government over the weekend is is actually the sort of the tone that they they took and Boris Johnson saying the matter is closed. I think that sort of slightly arrogant tone does put people off, um, and I think that does great. I think that was one of the things that annoyed them most about the Cummings scenario. It wasn't so much what he'd done; it was the sort of the total lack of lack of contrition. So they may need to they may need to step carefully there. I think it probably has taken a bit of that shine off of the vaccine rollout, though, just because of um, how uh, how sort of newsworthy it was. I mean. I'm sure you've seen, well, you've been creating them yourself, Matt, the memes, the the innuendo uh, and, and, you know, the jokes that have been generated by it. But also it's part of the, it's, it's, it's a result of the pandemic that Matt Hancock is basically one of the most famous celebrities in the country. It, it, it gets legs in a way that if it was, I don't know, um, Jeremy Hunt or uh, Peter Bottomley or somebody, you know, from years gone yeah, by, well, it wouldn't at, like, have yeah, taken off. Yeah, well, look at, uh, you know, the famous Plebgate with Andrew Mitchell, you yeah. know, in the you know, early 2010s. It was, it was big in the political world, but no, it wasn't on the nobody, front of it. Nobody, yeah. nobody knew what was going on there. Matt Chorley on Times Radio with GoDaddy, the official domain name, website builder and web hosting partner of Team GB. Good morning. Nice to have you with us here on Times Radio, where we are marking a year on air. It was a year ago today that Times Radio was launched. And what we've done on this show every month since then is a focus group uh, where James Johnson, former number 10 pollster, uh, gathers together a panel normally of swing voters and asks them what they think about what's going on in politics to give us a unique insight into basically exactly what focus groups carried out by number 10 of the Labour Party uh, might be finding too. James Johnson is here for uh, us to pick through uh, how opinion has changed and how it hasn't, James. Let's uh, we've done the t- we've done Boris Johnson. Uh, let's turn our attention now to uh, the leader of the opposition. This is what the panel said in our first ever focus group about Keir Starmer. It's Keir Starmer. I said I know he keeps the jokes and everything and the sarcasm out that you normally see that goes on in Parliament when everyone's laughing and joking, uh, and he just he gets straight to the point, so you can tell that he's worked in uh, the legal sector. Statesman like 
he appears to be what the image you have in your head of a statesman, of the leader of a country, would be and act and behave. I have to think who he was then. I don't think he's made a large impact. He, he seems quite serious, doesn't he? Serious, but hasn't made a large impact. Uh, and that thus was repeated for most of the year, Joe's. Yeah, and look, these are these these were great lines for Keir Starmer and the Labour Party to be hearing. Um, he it was mainly informed by his PMQs appearances. Is often how people talked about it. People don't obviously sit down and watch PMQs on BBC Parliament Channel at twelve pm on a Wednesday, but they do pick because they're listening up. to it on they're, Times they're Radio. To it on Times Radio, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but they do they do sort of pick it up through this sort of process of osmosis, whether it's seeing clips on social media, whether it's seeing clips on the news, or just hearing about it. And he was seen a statesman like serious, straight to the point. Uh, those those quotes that come through there. So yeah, if, if you're Keir Starmer and the Labour Party in mid twenty twenty. You might even think you could you could relax and uh, and and bank on this reputation lasting till the next election. Yeah, less so. Let's take a listen to what the focus group said. Uh, our most recent one uh, this month about Keir Starmer. Who? Sorry, Keir Starmer, the leader. Never of the heard Labour. of them. The leader of the Labour Party. No idea. I like him. Sorry. <laughs> no idea as well, Stacey. Sorry. Yeah, sorry, no idea on that one. <laughs> I mean, that's not great, is it, James? Even if it's a bit performative sometimes in the focus groups. And uh, what was seen as sort of serious and statesmanlike a year ago is now seen as a bit boring, a bit... Captain Hindsight. So Captain Hindsight, a year ago, you were sort of testing out Captain Hindsight on people. They didn't know what the hell you were talking about. And now it gets repeated uh, from different uh, people in the focus groups. Boris Johnson banging away at that at PMQs has, you know, people have now realised, oh, yeah, he's always just asked you know, finding fault after the event. Yeah, so I think that people not necessarily knowing who you are um, is is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, it's the fact that the people who do know who Keir Starmer is have really changed their views since since last time, uh, this time last year. And the key thing is, it's almost like the more they've seen of Keir Starmer, the more they've gone off him. And strength has turned to weakness. Um, this sense of getting straight to the point has turned to actually a sense that he obfuscates and doesn't quite ever say what he thinks um and uh they also increasingly now see the sir and the legal side less as a strength and more as something that actually suggests he's out of touch now that is quite a dangerous combination of things um it's also twinned with the fact that people talk about not knowing what he stands for um and not seeing anything he's announced or said now it's really hard for the leader of the opposition to get cut through but we've talked before uh on on the show Matt, about how you know, Labour and Keir Starmer have had opportunities to get things through, for example, in the run-up to the budget um, earlier this year, uh, and have sort of largely missed those opportunities. So that is a real sort of tone change, and that is that is quite hard, I think, for Keir Starmer to claw back now. There's an extraordinary uh, line in a, a Paul Waterhouse Post wrote a sort of insight, you know, fear and loathing inside the Labour Party piece uh, this week, ahead of Batley and Spen. And there was a line in there that Rachel Reeves, the Shadow Chancellor, had given a briefing to... I think shadow ministers and advisers and that sort of thing, and mentioned the single biggest spending commitment they'd made was fifteen billion pounds extra for education, and nobody in their meeting knew about it. Even the people working for the Labour Party were like, "We didn't know about this. When did this happen?" Uh, and if even they haven't even communicated amongst themselves, never mind the wider the wider public. 
So if you were if you were advising Boris Johnson or Keir Starmer uh, right now, what uh, could they be doing to be in a better place in 12 months' time? Well, I think on Keir Starmer, I think they they need to stop getting distracted. So in the run-up to the local elections, they actually did have crime as quite a major focus. They did press releases in late March on crime in a run-up to those contests. And then they sort of got distracted by things like the wallpaper row, the trip to John Lewis. That's come up in quite a few of my focus groups away from our Times Radio ones as people saying, you know, what was he playing at? You know, Boris Johnson was talking about the pandemic. Keir Starmer was talking about wallpaper. So they need to really maintain focus. I would say what they need to do, they need to pick three or four issues, whether it's crime, whether it's cost of living, and they need to find some really catchy policies to go with it. I'm not talking about a full dry manifesto, but just two or three eye-catching, really simple things, almost that you could put on a pledge card. Uh, you know, not to evoke Blair too much, um, just to be able to try and cut through those voters. It's interesting, though, isn't it? Because the Labour Party has such a peculiar relationship with Tony Blair that they're like, oh, we don't want to do that. Tony Blair did that. Yeah, he's the only person in living memory, he's won, a, well, in my living memory anyway, who's won a general election for the Labour Party. And so uh, you don't have to have the same policies, but the, the strategy of how you pick some eye-catching things which are popular and bang away at it for a long time is pretty key. Yeah, and I think the other thing is that um, love him or loathe him, people felt that Tony Blair uh, sort of spoke his mind, that he pursued things that he believed in, even if they were unpopular. Um, people also talk about Margaret Thatcher in the same way in focus groups, um, relatively fondly. So I think Keir Starmer needs to really sort of try and actually, in a way, stop listening to focus groups. Obviously, we want as many viewers for Times Radio as possible. But he almost needs to actually just go, this is what I believe in, this is what I'm going to do. Because the public are really wise. They completely see through somebody if they think they're doing it just to be popular or just to get their votes. Um, they know if someone's following the public or following where the wind it's, is. They can just smell it, can't they? It's, yeah. it's really... And it's that thing when sometimes people say... Uh, I don't like him, or I don't always agree with him, but you know where you stand, you know, and I know, I know, you know, that's what he thinks, and I disagree with him on that, but I, I quite like everything else, or, you know, his heart's in the right place, even if I disagree with him on that particular issue. Yeah, and particularly now, I think, and we've done polling on this, you know, compared to the early 2010s, where competence was the order of the day and what people wanted to see from their politicians, being good on the detail, that has shifted to authenticity and strength. So you actually get a lot more credit if you take on the voters... Um, and keep, you know, drilling at it, but looking like you believe in it, than just seeming to blow in the wind all of the time. And Boris Johnson, in a in a short sentence, where will he be in 12 months' time? Well, I think he needs to really start to define that post-pandemic vision now, because I think the biggest danger for the Conservatives uh, is they've had the vaccine rollout boost, they've, had, they've, they've been seen to manage the pandemic in, in an acceptable way, the, da the danger now is sort of just being uh, empty, having an empty position on a lot of these other big things that are coming up. So yes, they need to grapple with the difficult things like housing, like social care, but they also need to have a really positive image about what the country looks like in the future. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. And we bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcasts from. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. 
Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.